you know, a, cl- a distinction of people, class of people. And she said, truth of the matter is I volunteered. And I remember in her testimony that night, she shared Isaiah 6, 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. And she said, then you go to the next verse in Isaiah 6, 9. He said, and the Lord said, go and tell this people. She said, did you notice that the Lord said, whom shall I send? Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And the next verse, the Lord says, go and tell this people. Go and tell was not told to Isaiah until first he said, here am I, until he volunteered. And she said, you know, in God's army, God does not draft, he recruits. Well, we'd been singing a song in my high school chapel, a volunteer for Jesus. I thought it might show up on our playlist today. Uh, I, haven't, I don't hear it a lot anymore, but it was a great military-style song. You may remember it. See if I can get the tune right. A call for loyal soldiers comes to one and all. Soldiers for the conflict, will you heed the call? Will you answer quickly with a ready cheer? Will you be enlisted as a volunteer? Did you ever hear that song? A volunteer for Jesus, a soldier true. Others have enlisted. Why not you? Jesus is the captain. We will never fear. Will you be enlisted as a volunteer? She's speaking that night, and I am under conviction. I mean, this is just a testimony. And I am I'm just sitting. I'm 15 years old, already six foot six. And I just know where this is going. The Lord's dealing with me as if he had put his arm around me and we're having a heart-to-heart. Rich, I want you. And he's saying that to this rich. Rich, I want you. I want you to surrender to me. And I was scared to death because I had a feeling if I did surrender, I was going to end up being a preacher. And you might think, didn't you like preachers? I love preachers. I just didn't want to be one. (laughs) Why not? Because to be one, you have to talk in front of people. And that is the last thing I ever wanted to do, was to talk in front of people. I was scared to death to get up in front of people. But as our missionary lady was giving her testimony that night, I thought of a famous poster. It's part of Americana. I think it's fitting on this particular Memorial Day that I would pull out this poster. Uncle Sam, the recruitment poster, I Want You. In fact, it was actually painted in in 1916 by a man named James Montgomery Flagg. No kidding, flag, F-L-A-G-G. And it was used to encourage Americans to support the World War I effort. We had not entered that war as yet. And to encourage young men to enlist. Now, later on, we know a draft was implemented. The draft was used in World War I, World War II, Vietnam, for instance. Typically, though, our armed forces have consisted of voluntary forces, those who've signed up. I'm sitting in church that night and the Lord's working on me just as surely as we need a voluntary force for an American armed forces. The Lord needs an army of volunteers. By the way, it's not just the pastor and me and missionaries who should be surrendered. You know who should be surrendered? Everybody. Everybody. And that night I went and I surrendered to the Lord, and uh, I'll never forget our pastor preached a short message, and when he gave the invitation, I was already on the hook. The Lord was just reeling me in. And I made a decision that night of yieldedness to the Lord that has affected me to this very moment. My coach used to tell us, every decision you make affects the next decision you make. Every decision you make affects the next decision you make. Well, I want to give you a message this morning from a person in Scripture whose attitude was not one of surrender. In fact, 
the title for the message is This Personality's Attitude. I've entitled the message, Don't Tell Me What I Don't Want to Hear. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. It is from the life of Ahab. Ahab. Would you look with me at it? In fact, hey, listen, we didn't stand for the last hymn. Why don't we stand briefly for the reading of the word? If you're able to stand, let's do it. 1 Kings 22. I'm going to read from verse 1 and go on down to uh, verse 6. And then I'll pick out a couple other verses along the way here. 1 Kings, I'm sorry, 22, verse 1. They continued three years without war between Syria and Israel, and it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, I pray thee, at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Okay, so now what's happening is Israel and Syria had been at war. The last time they'd gone to battle, God had so decimated the Syrian army. Three years earlier, he wiped out 120,000 of them in one day. So Syria has not had the ability to fight any battles. And the king of Israel, not named here, but we know from context, his name is Ahab. It's as if the divine writer wants to name that name as little as possible. The scripture says the name of the wicked shall rot. His name, his name is not given in this entire uh, chapter, although we know from the context before and after it's Ahab. And so he says, hey... We're going to go up to get Ramoth Gilead. That was a former city of refuge. Let's go get it back. And he says to Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern tribes, the king of Judah, will you go with me? He said, look, my army's yours. Just one thing. Inquire of God today. Look at verse 7. So he had already sent and inquired of these prophets. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not here a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning him, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imla. I want to read two more verses. Jump on down to verse 13 with me, if you will. And the messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold, now the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. And Micaiah said, As the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith unto me, that will I speak. I love that statement. Whatever God says, that's what I'm saying. When I was a young man, Micaiah became one of my heroes in the Scripture. His attitude was whatever God says. Ahab's attitude was, don't tell me, I don't want to hear. I was praying, pastor asked me yesterday, would you, would you be comfortable preaching tomorrow? I said, yeah, well, let me, let me, I'd already been working on something for tonight, something different. So I said, let me see if I've got something in my arsenal that uh, might fit for this Memorial Day. And I thought, you know, the matter of the will. If we didn't have men and women who would volunteer to fight for our country, we wouldn't be free. And the army of heaven is no different. God wants volunteers. Will your attitude be, don't tell me, I don't want to hear, or speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. 
Go ahead and be seated, and we'll have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. I just pray that you'll use the scripture to be exactly what we need today. It was uh, providential, I believe, that Pastor asked yesterday. I, I didn't see this coming. He didn't even see this coming, but you did. And I pray you'll use the message for each of us today. And I pray it'll be used this, this time as well as the 11 o'clock hour. And then I pray you'll prepare us for tonight. I'm sure grateful we get to be back together again. Would you please work in us to glorify you? And I pray when the uh, live stream goes forward later on uh, at 11 o'clock that you'll use the gospel message to reach people that might not come into this place, people that might not ever visit our church, but they'll get a visitation from heaven. So I pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you a little background. So no war had gone on for three years. Syria had been soundly defeated by Israel, although Israel was the, was the inferior force. They humanly shouldn't have beaten the Syrians, but God intervened. And so now the three years have gone by, and Ahab says, this is it. This is an opportunity. They haven't been able to mature an army. They're vulnerable right now. Let's go get back what was ours. He wants Ramoth Gilead. Now, Ramoth Gilead is a piece of property that had previously belonged to Israel. It was one of the cities of refuge. You remember the cities of refuge were places that if a man unwittingly took somebody's life, we call that involuntary manslaughter. If somebody inadvertently took another's life, you know, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So he could be killed. Well, if he went to the city of refuge, he would be protected there. As long as the high priest was alive, he was to stay in that particular town. And there were numerous cities of refuge. Well, this one had been taken by the Syrians. So I'm going to start with this this morning. We're going to start with what Ahab wanted. If you want to follow along, be easy. I'll give you four observations, all right? We're going to start with what Ahab wanted. And what he wanted was a town called Ramoth Gilead. I'll explain that in a minute. Then we're going to see what Ahab didn't want. So he knew very clearly, this is what I want. He also knew something, no, I don't want this. Then we're going to see what Ahab didn't know. And then we'll end with this, what Ahab got. Now, why is this pertinent to you and me? I think you and I are a lot like Ahab in that we know what we want, and we know some things we don't want, but then there are some things we don't know. And here's the pattern. Ahab knew what he wanted. He knew what he didn't want, but he didn't know what he didn't know, and so when he got what he got, he wished he hadn't got what he got. And that's the pattern so often. That's why this message, this lesson from Ahab's life is so important for us. Let's start with him with what Ahab wanted. It's in verses 1 to 4. And we are told something about his character. Just jump back a little bit to chapter 16 of you all. Chapter 16, and I want you to look at uh, verse 30. Chapter 16, back up a few pages. Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Did you ever notice the expression in the scripture, evil in the sight of the Lord? You can't hide it from God. He sees what's going on. You might think, oh, it's the wee hours of the night. Nobody sees. Yeah, God does. He did evil before the Lord. Above all that were before him, it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab made a grove, and Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. And that's saying something, because there had been some bad ones before him. Okay, he built a grove. The word grove there is like a stand of trees that were carved into uh, idolatrous poles. We think of a grove, you think of an orchard like a citrus grove. But this was a, a grove of poles that were erected for idolatry. So here's Ahab. He's the king of Israel. It's the nation that had been set apart as God's people. And what's he do? He marries wicked Jezebel, and they all go into Baal worship. 
It's a sad thing when a country that has been founded on God and his principles turns away in the abandoning of God and his principles. You don't know any countries that would do that, do you? You live in one. Pray for this country. I get moved. I'm listening to that Reagan speech, and I'm fighting tears over here thinking, man, I love this country. I'm so glad I get to be an American. But you all know her very existence is under threat right now. And it's going to start, the turning of a country will start with the turning of individuals' hearts back to God. There is a man, Jehoshaphat, who enters the equation here. Now, if I had time, I'd take you to 2 Chronicles chapter 17, and you'd find a, a good bit about him. I'll just summarize 2 Chronicles 17 for you. Jehoshaphat's the king of the southern tribes, basically uh, Judah and Benjamin. You remember, they were the only two that really were the, that had any godly kings. They had about eight pretty good kings in the southern tribes. The northern kings had no good ones among them. But Jehoshaphat was one of the good guys. sad thing was, he made some compromising alliances. His relationship with Ahab here is, is really a mystery to me. Why he would ever hook up with Ahab. In fact, it's going to come back to haunt him. Personally a good guy. But he made some alliances that leave you scratching your head. But Jehoshaphat was a good man. He reinstated the Passover in Israel. He drove out the Sodomites from the land. He turned the people away from idolatry. He personally led the nation in a spiritual reform. So he's a good guy. Ahab is his antithesis. Ahab is his, his black counterpart, if you will. He's the other side of the equation. They are diametrically opposed, and yet they, they gather together. Why? Well, Ahab wanted something. He said, I want Ramoth Gilead. Now, Ramoth Gilead was not only a city of refuge, but it's on the border between Syria and Israel. And you know this, whoever has the control of the town on the border has a big advantage in the battle between the countries. Hey, listen, borders matter, don't they? Yeah, they sure do. Thank the Lord for a president that's willing to shore up the border, that's willing to put up a wall. You know, the walls matter. There's a reason for walls. There's a, a reason for distinctions. There's a reason for boundaries. Ahab says, we take that wall, we take that city, we'll have a real advantage there. Not only that, it was a place of really good pasture land. They could raise their, their cattle there. They could, uh, grow, they could raise flocks there, etc. They could produce crops there. This is prime land. So Ahab knew what he wanted. And I'll tell you, a lot of you probably know what you want. Think, man, okay, I got, if I could set aside this amount, if I could retire with so much, if we could maybe buy this property, if we could build this house, if we could take that trip, maybe you have in mind, hey, this is what I want. But wait a minute, don't forget this in all your planning. You don't know when the next pandemic's coming around the corner. You don't know when the stock market's going to tank. But guess, guess who knows every twist and turn of your life? God does. So when you make your plans, make sure that God is the God of your plans. Because he's the omniscient one. He knows everything. And so make sure you're asking him. Ahab's determination here to go get this little town of Ramoth Gilead is his little, I call it his gimme gimme. It's like the battle of Iwo Jima. You've heard of Iwo Jima? It's appropriate on this Memorial Day that we would remember it. Iwo Jima is a place in the northern Pacific. It's uh, part of a volcano or island, uh, a chain of islands called the North Volcano Islands. Iwo Jima itself is five miles long. At its widest point, it's two and a half miles. I spoke to a friend of mine recently who had been there one time. He said, "Yeah, there's nothing there. Just a bunch of caves, you know, Mount Suribachi, uh, airstrips. I mean, it's just a." It's just a barren wasteland in the middle of nowhere. looks like the surface of the moon. But in February and March of 1945, 
6,000 Allied forces died in the liberation of Iwo Jima. 5,800 of them were U.S. Marines. 5,800 Marines died at Iwo Jima. 3rd, 4th, and 5th Divisions. You think, why such bloodshed? There was nothing there but airstrips. And that was the key. It was strategically important. Because the Japanese were launching their fighters from from Iwo Jima, and they were gunning down our bombers on the raids coming out of Saipan and Tinian. They were heading to mainland Japan. So these fighters would would gun down our bombers. Later, when the U.S. and its allies took Iwo Jima, then we could put fighters there, and it was also an emergency landing area for our bombers. And it is said historically that the tide of war began to turn in the Pacific after Iwo Jima was liberated. Now, interesting. The question, was it worth it? I was reminded of the answer to that question about uh, just about a week or two into this, this pandemic crisis. We were in Washington, D.C. They hadn't forbidden anybody to go into town at that point, so we went in during the cherry blossoms. It was about a week before they put a squash on it. And we're walking around town, and that night we met up with one of uh, Brown and Andrews, uh, Brown and Heather's uh, friend who works for a congressman there, Peter, and we were touring D.C. with Peter, and we, we went to the different memorials. I'll tell you, it was a great time to tour D.C. Nobody was around. And so we're touring, and we got to one of my favorite uh, memorials to look at, just, just um, artistically, is the Korean War Memorial. And if you've been there, you have, the, you have the soldiers going through the rice paddies, and it's just a haunting look. You know, they got those old walkie-talkies. And the question I was thinking about what it cost for us to have freedom. I was thinking about Iwo Jima, one of the most, I don't know, one of the most monumental battles in my mind during World War II. And there's a statement on the wall at the Korean War Memorial. It's, it's the answer, I think, to the question. Was it worth it? The statement is simply, freedom isn't free. Freedom isn't free. And I remember that night when I went to the altar there in church, and I've got tears coming down my cheeks, and I'm thinking, Lord, I, I have a feeling you're going to make me a preacher, and I just don't know that that's a really good idea. Me, the person who's 15 years old with barely a life of experience who has extremely limited knowledge, talking to the omniscient one, saying, you know, I don't know if this is a good idea, Lord, but whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm willing to do. That was a turning point of my life in the aftermath of my salvation. Once I came to a relationship with God, then I came to the place of surrender to God. And let me tell you something. Every one of us is going to come to a fork in the road. We all have our own gimme gimmies. These are our dreams. These are our ambitions. You want to know that you're going to make right choices in life? You want to know that you'll be able to look back one day and say, I'm so glad I made those choices and went that way. I'll tell you how to know for sure you make the right choice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When I preach to teenagers, I tell them, how would you like to know you, you know for sure you married the right person? How would you like to know for sure whether you ought to go to that college, whether you should go to college or not? How do you know whether you take the right major? How do you know whether you go the right career path? There's one way to know it. Die to self. Present your body a living sacrifice to God, and you'll know it. You can know it. 
Ahab had his own gimme gimme. He knew what he wanted. But then I want you to see this. What Ahab didn't want. It's in verses 5 to 18. Pick up with me in verse 5. So he says, I want Ramoth Gilead. Uh, We're back in chapter 22 now. He said to, to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me? He said, yeah, sure, my people are at your disposal. But then in verse 5, Jehoshaphat said, one thing he said, inquire, I pray thee, ask at the word of the Lord today. Well, look at verse 6. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall I forbear? They said, go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Now, it all sounds good, doesn't it? Jehoshaphat says, you you just got to ask God on this. And Ahab doesn't even, he doesn't even blink. Okay, get the prophets together. Sure, Ahab is, uh, I'm sorry, Jehoshaphat, I'm sure, is really impressed. Look at them, they're coming in by the hundreds. Should we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we forbear? And they all say, oh no, go up, the Lord will deliver it in your hand. Why does Jehoshaphat then say, uh, just wait a minute. Isn't there a prophet of Jehovah besides that we might inquire of him? Jehoshaphat sees right through this. Not everybody who claims to be speaking for God is speaking for God. In fact, here's a case, and I like what Matthew Henry said of this. Unity is not the mark of a true church and a true ministry. Here were 400 men, all prophesying with one mind and one mouth, and yet all in error. 400 guys all saying the same thing. They're all walking to the same drum, but they're all dead wrong. And Jehoshaphat sees through it. Uh, Ahab, is there not even a singular prophet of Jehovah that we might inquire of him? So who were these guys? Hey, there was no lack of false prophets in Israel at the time. I got to think of, we're in chapter 22. Do any of you remember what, uh, what monumental event, and I would like some interaction, so get your mind going. Somebody give me an answer here. What monumental event happened in 1 Kings 18? Famous prophet Elijah. Anybody remember 1 Kings 18? What happened at that point? It was the the showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of Jehovah, the Lord. You remember Elijah thought, I'm the only one left. You know, he said, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to me. Whenever you think you're the only one, you're not the only one. He said, uh, we're going to have a big showdown. He said, here's what we'll do. You gather all the prophets together, you prophets of Baal, and we'll make a sacrifice. And whoever's God answers by fire, he'll be the God. So, you know, the prophets of Baal, they're out there, and they've got their sacrifice, and they're crying out to their God, and, and Elijah mocks them. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a nap. Cry louder. And they're cutting themselves. They're bleeding. Nothing's happening because their God's not existent. He doesn't exist. And after they go on for the half part of a day, then Elijah gets up there and he prays what is in our English Bible a 62-word prayer. Oh, by the way, he not only puts the sacrifice on the altar, he soaks it with barrels of water. And they're in a time of drought. So they must have gone down to the the, uh, Mediterranean Sea and pulled the water out of the sea and they're dumping the barrels there on Mount Carmel. And Elijah prays 62 words. The fire falls. Not only is all the meat consumed not only are the wood the stone is consumed the water is consumed the people cry out the lord he's the god the lord he is the god and what does elijah say gather up all the prophets of baal and slay them right here now there were 350 prophets slain there back four chapters ago something who are these other guys what is interesting in that particular chapter there is mention made 
of another 400 prophets. They were called the prophets of the grove. Remember we talked about a grove a few minutes ago. It was a stand of idol poles. It is very likely these 400 prophets are the same ones that are mentioned in 1 Kings 18. And so now they're causing trouble again. Oh yeah, go and prosper. You'll you'll be glad you did. Okay, pick up now in verse 8. King of Israel said to Joshua, Well, there's yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire the Lord. But I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And, and Joshua said, Let not the king say so. Okay, now, would you, uh, would you infer from this that these guys had had some run-in before? I've, you know, I thought, okay, I'm going to deduce from that that they've met, right? And it did not go well. So I thought, I am going to study everything I can about this fellow Micaiah. I'm going to learn everything I can in Scripture. So I got my concordance. And let me tell you, you can do the same because it'll take you two minutes. Because there is no other place Micaiah is mentioned in Scripture but here. I thought, really? Oh, that's disappointing. Because this was going to be a really good study. I love this guy. I just thought, whatever God says, that's what I'm saying. And I went back and I thought, well, how? obviously they've, got, they've had some running. In fact, I'm going to show you from the text that Micaiah has been in prison. Now, typically when a preacher was in prison back then, why was he in prison? It wasn't because of gatherings of more than 10, okay? It wasn't because of embezzling money or anything else. It was because he was preaching something the king didn't want to hear. So he is in prison. And so why is he in prison? Well, we'll get to that. Very interesting. If we had time, and I don't have time to get in the background, but we go two chapters prior to this, is chapter 20. That's the incident I already referred to where uh, Israel and Syria had engaged in battle, and the Lord sent an angel who wiped out 120,000 soldiers. I mean, that's, that's Nagasaki and Hiroshima-type casualties. 120,000 soldiers in one night died. That's why for three years there's been no war between Syria and Israel because the army was decimated. They don't have any seasoned fighters to fight. Interesting, during that battle, God had told Israel, okay, you don't spare a man from the Syrians. God had said that we've had enough from Syria. They have hardened themselves against me and my truth. We're wiping them out. Do not spare a man. For whatever reason, Ahab, king of Israel, Ahab spared the Syrian king. His name was Ben-Hadad. It's very interesting. In chapter 20, there is an unnamed prophet who comes out to confront Ahab because he blatantly disregarded God's command. He, he spared the king of Syria. So this unnamed prophet is disguised like a peasant. He's wearing um, like uh, sackcloth, you know, cheap clothing. He's all dusty. It's a prophet, but he's all disguised. And he calls out to the king, O king! And Ahab comes over in his chariot. What is it? He said, one of your soldiers left in my custody a soldier from the other army, from the Syrians, and he told me, he better be here when I get back. If not, your life's going to go for his life. And the prophet, who looks like a peasant, says, I got distracted, and the man escaped, and now I'm afraid your soldier's going to kill me. And in effect, Ahab says, serves you right, because you let go a man that God appointed for destruction, your life will go for his life. At that point, Ahab's, uh, I'm sorry, the prophet takes off the disguise and he says, O king, because you let go of a man that God appointed for destruction, your life will go for his life. Now it's interesting, that prophet is not named. However, 
When I was doing the background study for this message, I was reading the history from Josephus, the Jewish historian. He refers to that incident and mentions that the prophet in 1 Kings 20 was Micaiah. Now, the Bible didn't say that. That doesn't mean it wasn't Micaiah. I can't tell you on the authority of Scripture that the, the unnamed prophet was Micaiah. But I will tell you this, if that's true, it makes sense. If that's true, no wonder said, that guy never says anything, uh, Ahab said, no, that guy never says anything good concerning me. Listen, if it's not true, it doesn't really matter. But if it is true, it is very interesting, isn't it? And we'll tell you why he's ended up in prison. And think about this, if so, that was three years earlier. So this guy's just spent three years in prison. I was feeling bad for that hairdresser down in Texas who spent just a couple of days in jail because of her so-called crime of opening up a la carte, you know, her little... uh, Barbershop, think about, man, this guy maybe was in prison for three years. Okay, so what Ahab didn't want, what did he not want? He did not want a word from the Lord. I'm going to give you three things he didn't want. He didn't want a word from the Lord, verses 5 to 7. He didn't want a visit from the preacher, verses 8 to 14. In fact, I'll show you, keep reading. He didn't want a visit from the preacher. He said, there's one man, Micaiah, verse 8, by whom we may inquire the Lord, but I hate him, for he doth not prophesy good concerning him, but evil. And Joshua said, not that the king say so. And the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of, of Imla. So we read there's a little uh, tete-a-tete going on here. They're in the void place at the entrance of the gate. That's where government matters are conducted. Both Ahab and Jehoshaphat are in their kingly robes. The, these prophets are prophesying before them. There's one guy here. Uh, let's see. His name is Zedekiah in verse 11. He makes himself horns like the horns of a bull. He's got this object lesson, and he says, Thus saith the Lord, and he even uses the Lord, all capitals. That's the name, Yahweh, Jehovah. Thus saith the Lord, with thee shalt thou push the Syrians until thou have consumed them. He's invoking the name of God, but he's not giving the message from God, that's for sure. This is all going on while the messenger has gone to get Micaiah. So pick up in verse 13. The messenger that was gone to call Micaiah spake to him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good to the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. In other words, can't we all just get along? Please don't ruffle the king. Everybody's happy. They're all telling him what he wants to hear. See, his definition of good is don't ruffle feathers. Just keep the king happy. That's not God's definition of good. But that's his definition of good. And what does Micaiah say? Verse 14. He said, as the Lord liveth. Okay, let me ask you, how long is the Lord going to live? forever, just mark it down, as the Lord liveth, what the Lord saith to me, that will I speak. Man, I double underline that in my Bible. That's why I thought, that guy's my hero. I love that guy. All right, so he didn't want a word from the Lord. He didn't want a visit from the preacher. We were in Nova Scotia one time. I was with my friend, Pastor Wayne Bray. Ann and Wayne visited here years ago. The Francines have been up to see them. And he pastors Calvary Faith Baptist Church in Sonora, Nova Scotia. It's a little fishing village and Church probably has about 40 people. I'm supposed to speak there in July this year if, if the borders open up. And Dear people, Pastor Bray is a very quiet-spoken Newfoundlander. He grew up a Newfie. He pastors in Nova Scotia. One day he and I were driving around, and he said, and he's quiet. I, I even have to listen on purpose. He said, Brother Rich, see that house over there? He said, let me tell you about that guy. He said, I have tried so many times to visit him, but every time I pull in the driveway, he goes out the back door. I said, you know that? He said, oh, I know it for a fact. He said, in fact, one day, I had Ann drive the car in the driveway while I stood at the back door. (laughs) 
And he said he came bolting out the back door. And he said, uh, hello, John, going somewhere. <laughs> That's how much this guy was trying to avoid the preacher. Now listen, I know Wayne Bray. He's the nicest man in the world. Why would that guy not want to see him? Because he knows he's going to tell him the Bible. He's going to tell him God says. He didn't want a word from the Lord. He didn't want a visit from the preacher. But then notice something else. He didn't want a command to the contrary. He didn't want a command to the contrary. Okay, so pick up verse 15, if you will. So he came to the king. The king said to Micaiah, Shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? He answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. The king said to him, How many times shall I adjure thee, that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? He said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills as sheep that have not a shepherd. The Lord said, These have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Joshua, Did I not tell thee he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? Okay, now this is kind of what we call in literature the denouement. We're getting to the the height of the story right now. This is where everything's going to become revealed, okay? So he sends for Micaiah to come and Micaiah, you can figure, he's been in prison. And listen, prisons were not like today's prisons, okay? I wouldn't want to be in an American prison, but hey, working out in the gym and getting three square meals and working on a master's degree would not be like these prisons. Okay, these guys, you can imagine, he hasn't seen a razor in years. He's scruffy. His clothes are rotting. He hasn't had laundry privileges. He's got to be emaciated. They didn't feed political prisoners well. So he comes in. I picture him. He's got chains on. He's got his ankles shackled together. Meanwhile, Ahab is up, we're told, in an elevated place, the entrance of the gate. And you can picture him in all his pomp and circumstance. He's got his royal robes on. In my mind, when I read these scriptures, I try to imagine, what is it like? Ahab doesn't even want to look at Micaiah. This is the guy that's a threat to him. So you can picture him there. Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or shall we forbear? I picture Micaiah over here. He's got this wry little smile on his face. And he says, O king, go and prosper. And when I first read that, see, this is why when you read the Bible, think what you're reading. Because I thought, what a sellout. Verse 13, he said, whatever God says. And now he said, oh, your highness, just go and prosper. He's being facetious. He's being sarcastic. And there's a purpose. He isn't just being a smart aleck. He says, O king, go and prosper. For the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And what happens at that point? I mean, look at it, verses 17 and 18. Micaiah whips around and says, How many, t- I'm sorry, Ahab whips around and looks up and says, How many times shall I adjure thee? Thou tell me nothing but what is true in the name of the Lord. You know what he just did? He just tipped his hand. He knew the other guys weren't speaking for God. And Micaiah had him reveal his true heart at that moment. And he says, Okay, I'll tell you. And now he has, dev- he has a kingly, not only permission, he has a kingly command. You tell me what God said. Okay, so how can I get in trouble? You just demanded it, right? So look what he says here. I saw all Israel, verse 17, scattered upon the hills. The Lord said, these have no master. What's that mean? You go up there, Ahab, you're going to die. You're going to be dead. And uh, <clears throat> let every man return to his house in peace. What does Ahab say? Did I not tell thee he would prophesy no good concerning me but evil? All right, what Ahab did not want. A visit from the preacher... A word from the Lord, a command to the contrary. 1 John 3, 20 and 21 says, If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, 
If our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. When your heart is condemning you, that's a signal from God. Hold on. Remember Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Let the peace of God arbitrate, okay, like an umpire. If there's no peace, there shouldn't be any proceeding. So Ahab says, take this guy back. In fact, pick up in verse 19 what happens. And I want you to see, number three, what Ahab didn't know. What Ahab didn't know. Okay, pick up in 19. He said, hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, all the host of heaven, standing by him on his right hand, on his left. The Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go and fall at Ra- oh, go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? One said on this matter, another said on that matter. There came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, wherewith? How are you going to do it? He said, I'll go forth and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets, and the Lord has spoken evil concerning thee. But Zedekiah, the son of Chenaan, then went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way went the spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? That was the guy with the horns, the false prophet, okay? And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. The king, said, uh, the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah, carry him back unto Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, saying, Thus said the king, put this fellow in prison. Okay, notice, where is he going back to? Back to prison. Feed him with the bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If thou return it all in peace, the Lord hath not spoken by me. And he said, Hearken unto me, O people, every one of you. Okay. What he didn't know? Micaiah said, Well, <clears throat> your highness, since you asked, let me just tell you. I saw the host of heaven. The host of heaven. Who are these angelic beings? They're gathered before the Lord. <clears throat> he says, who will persuade Ahab to go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? This idea and that idea. And then one says, oh, I got a plan. And the Lord said, what is it? As if the Lord needs to ask. You know, he knows everything. But the Spirit says, I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Now, just a minute. I thought, whoa, what? Lying. You know, I, I don't buy this idea that the end justifies the means. This just doesn't seem to fit with God's character. Wait a minute. Well, well, here's the deal. As I was wrestling through this, I thought, oh, all spirits are subject to God, even the fallen ones. You remember, Satan couldn't get to Job without God's permission. Remember that? And this lying spirit says, I'll persuade him. And he says, how are you going to do it? I'll, I'll be in the mouth of all his prophets, and they'll believe they got the message from you. And the Lord said, oh, that'll do it. You have permission, go out and do it. And once you notice this, this guy, Zedekiah, says, where did the spirit of God go for me to speak to you? He's convinced he got supernatural revelation. He did. It just didn't come from God. It came from the devil. And see, listen, if you are determined to defy God, Satan will find a way to convince you that you're in the right. And here's the deal. What you don't know can hurt you. And boy, does this hurt Ahab. Let me give you this, finally. What Ahab got. What Ahab got. And I want you to see in verse 34, and it's actually from 29 to 38. um, Let me summarize what happens, because I'm losing my voice. Uh, 
the Lord, hey, Micaiah said to Ahab, you, if you return in all, at all in peace, God is not spoken by me. Well, if a prophet made a proclamation that wasn't true, he was to be disregarded. If he said something to turn the people after other gods, he was to be stoned to death. So he said, if, I, if my prophecy doesn't come true, then you can disregard everything I said. But Ahab, you're not coming back. So Ahab goes off to battle. Micaiah is taken back to prison. He goes up, and what happens? Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, tells his men, look, we're not ready to fight these guys yet, but we're getting attacked by Israel. I don't want you engaging in battle. Just bring me the king of Israel. Dead or alive, bring Ahab to me. But do not fire a shot. We're not ready to engage the enemy. This is purely um, go get the man. That's it. So it's going to be like guerrilla warfare. You just get the one guy and bring him to me. Okay, so... What happens in 34? Notice, a certain man drew a bow at a venture and smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore, he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn thy hand, carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed up in his chariot against the Syrians and died at even. His blood ran out of his wound in the midst of the chariot. And there went out a proclamation throughout all the host about the going down of the sun, saying, Every man to his city, every man to his own country. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. And one washed the chariot in the pool of Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood. And they washed his armor according to the word of the Lord, which he spake. Okay, how did it all end? Here's what Ahab got. Death, verses 34 and 35. Defeat, verse 36. And disgrace, verses 37 and 38. Death, defeat, and destruction. That is the demise of Ahab in 3D, okay? There's the very graphic demise of this king. Death, defeat, and disgrace. You say, well, that dummy. God told him he could have avoided all that. I wonder how many times you and I have done something in blatant disregard for what God says. You know, it's, it's not just important that you and I would surrender to God in an act of voluntary service. Lord, whatever you want me to do. You know, the pastor had to surrender to God. I had to surrender to God. But it doesn't matter if you're in secular business or the service of the king. All service is sacred service. You've got to be doing what God wants you to do. That's not just in your vocation. In your daily choices. You see, Ahab's attitude was this. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear you remember how Samuel the prophet was taught to respond to God by even a carnal leader like Eli? He heard the voice and he said, Eli, you called me. He said, I didn't call you. And Eli figured out it's God that's calling Samuel. He said, the next time the voice calls you, you say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. You remember Paul, who was Saul at the time. He was on the way to Damascus to persecute Christians and literally got knocked off his high horse. And that day he said this, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And how about our Savior himself who said this? Father, it would be possible. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou will. Let me tell you, the way we can see this country turned, it's not for all of us to go down and sign up. Boy, we need military. I pray for our military daily. But even more than we need a military, and thank God for military, We need a heavenly military. We need onward Christian soldiers. 
We need God's people fully surrendered to God. You see, the Christian life is the one battle in which victory is obtained through surrender. The Christian life is the one battle in which victory is obtained through surrender. Not surrender to the enemy, but surrender to God. I wonder, where might it be that you need to say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. Would you bow your heads with me as we go to a time of prayer?